Okay, we're in Lesson 12, A Call for Separation. So this is where we're going to focus our time on today. Now again, I want you to remember the underlying theme that's taking place as you try to understand what's going on here. The heart of Paul's letter is that he's he's writing a letter to the Corinthians because there's some issues going on with the church concerning his credentials, his identity. It's being called into question by maybe some false teachers, some Judaizers, some folks who came up from Jerusalem. Well, some legalists, basically, legalists, because Paul was not wanting to impose the Old Testament law on Gentile believers. And so he's facing this, really, this whole issue of his credibility and so forth. And you're going to see a little bit of that here in the first few verses of what we're looking at here. But then also interspersed in the midst of this discussion, he, he will delve off into doctrinal issues or practical issues as they come up. And so we're going to look at one practical as well as doctrinal issue that comes up that's very important for every one of us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So let's look first of all at verse 11 through 13 of chapter 6. 11 through 13. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. So let's first of all talk about his openness here. Paul expresses that he has been completely open to them. Now, understand the underlying reason of this is that these false teachers were coming in and they were accusing the apostle of being a deceiver. That he was basically not telling them everything or that he was keeping things from them and he wasn't being forthright. He wasn't being totally honest. And Paul says to them, and notice how he starts out. He starts out, oh, Corinthians. So this is something he's really passionate about here. He's really wanting them to understand that, guys, I have been totally honest with you, totally open with you about my ministry, about my teaching, about my life. I've been honest with you. I've been open to you. He's expressing that he's been completely open to them about everything. Now he goes on and he talks about the relationship that they have. He's got to remind them a little bit about the relationship. And what you're going to see here is that Paul states that he is not restricting the Corinthians in his relationship with them. He is not restricting the Corinthians in his relationship with them. So he's not imposing upon them some sort of restrictions like, guys, since you're, you're, you know, because of our relationship, you need to act this way or you need to do these things. He's not imposing upon them some restrictions. Now, who would be imposing some restrictions on them? Who would, who would be imposing some restrictions on them? Well, not Pharisees at this point, but it would be those Judaizers, those legalists. See, those false teachers that they're listening to who are calling Paul's credentials into question, they would be the ones who would be imposing these restrictions upon them. And what kind of restrictions do you think they were imposing upon them? Yeah, but particular things about the law. Because not even all the Jews followed all of the law. What do you think they, what kind of restrictions do you think they imposed upon them? 
What's the big one for guys that they, every that, that every Jew had to do, but now they felt that every Christian had to do it? Circumcision. So they probably had them. You got to be circumcised. What else do you think they told them that they needed to do? Yeah, and food. Yes, yes, food. What kind of food they could eat? I mean, how would, how would you like if some guy came in here? And after a while, he started telling you, you know, you need to give up Italian sausage. You just need to give it up. No more hot Italian sausage. Can I be honest with you? Today, there are those who would impose that on you. For instance, a lot of us are always worried about our weight, are we not? We always want to do something. And what there's a, in you, every once in a while, you'll come across a Christian weight loss program. And, and, and they'll be off the wall. They'll be like, Eating from the Bible. What does that mean? Well, they want you to follow the menu from the Bible. You know, they'll, they'll tell you that you need to eat, so everybody here needs to be a vegetarian. Going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, before Noah was told that he could eat meat. Oh, I'd be hurting. You know, I'll just be honest with you. You know, it's, it's really, th- that kind of restrictions were being imposed upon them. Dress, certain things were being imposed upon those Corinthian believers. And Paul's saying to them, guys, he wasn't restricting them in any way in their relationship. He wasn't imposing upon them as a part of their relationship a whole bunch of restrictions. He wasn't imposing that upon them. But he does go on and say that he pointed out that they have restricted the relationship. They're the ones who have been putting stipulations down as far as the relationship. In fact, here in a couple of chapters, one of the stipulations that they're going to, that they're pushing with Paul has to do with money. Think about this. Uh, this is probably foreign for us. Here's a minister who won't take your money. And the Corinthians are insisting that he take their money. And they begin to question his credibility now because he won't take their money. Because his policy was is to go into a community rather than be a burden on the church, and they were young churches, rather than be a burden on them because in that day religious leaders would go around and they would just kind of sap off the people. What he would do then is just simply go in, get a job, tent making, and support himself without being a burden on the other churches. Now, some other churches might send money to him, but he would never take money from the church that he's working with. And the Corinthians were upset about that. And so they were putting these restrictions on, you need to take our money. You know, if you're going to, you're going to minister to us, you need to take our money. And so he's saying, you know, guys, I never put any restrictions on you. But you're putting restrictions on me. You know, what, uh, in, in different ways. So then, here's what he, he tells them. He calls them to something. He calls them to return the love that he has expressed to them. He calls the Corinthians to return the love. He was, a, he was like a loving father to them. And he says to them, guys, just as I have loved you, you need to return your love back to me. You need to return your love back to me. Look at what he says in verse 13. Now in return... For the same, I speak to you as his children. You also be open. You also be open with me, honest with me. Return your love to me. 
So then now we get into what is going to be the final part of our section is now that Paul, he kind of delves off into a different issue now. It's like all of a sudden he's been talking about their relationship. Now you get to verse 14. He has a completely different thought change. You ever have a conversation with somebody and you're talking about something and then all of a sudden they like change the subject in the middle of the conversation and you're still thinking about what you were talking about and they're talking about something completely different. All the guys are shaking. Sue uh, did too. Okay. Okay. But so what he's going to talk about now is he changes his subject now where he's going to move over now to the issue of holy living. Over to the whole issue of holy living. So look with me. We're going to look first of all at verse 14 through 16. Now verse 14 is a very familiar passage. If you've been in a Baptist church for a long time, you would at some point have always heard this passage preached. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. Okay, so now we're going to talk about, he's going to issue here a call for separation. How many of you have heard verse 14 before? Okay. How many of you have heard lots of messages on verse 14? Okay. So we're going to discuss verse 14 today. What does it mean? What is its application? Because I'll be honest with you, verse 14 and I know this, coming from, you know, coming from an independent Baptist background, has been actually there is a principle there, but what some Baptist churches have done is to add to the principle to make it go beyond what it's saying, and it's called separation. How many of you have heard the term separation? And then it's like you take it to the second degree separation, the third degree separation, and the fourth degree. And to the point where you can't associate with anybody. You just live in your own little island. So, we're going to see exactly what Paul's talking about here as far as the call of separation. Okay, so I want you to notice, here's the general principle that Paul is saying to us. This is the general principle. Forget everything else that you have heard before, because the general principle is going to bring it all into focus. Forget everything else from this other separation stuff. This, I mean, there's even a whole book written on one verse here. Forget all that stuff. Alright? Here's the principle. The principle is this. Believers are not to enter into, partner, into any partnerships with unbelievers. Believers are not to enter into any partnerships with unbelievers. Now, I want you to notice something now. I want you to look at verse 14. About the only thing you're going to see, I want you to look to see if there's any special asterisks or you know, like footnotes or something there. You are not going to see anywhere in this verse that it will say to you that you need to take it one step further to not associate with people who associate partner with Unbelievers. Anybody see that anywhere? Is, that, is the apostle saying that? 
So what I'm saying to you, this doctrine of separation that we've heard in our Baptist churches is not here. The general principle is here. The principle is, is that believers are not to enter into any partnerships. That's what a yoking is. What the picture that the Apostle Paul has is a yoke of ox, where you have two ox or oxen yoked together as they're plowing a field, or, or two animals who are yoked together as they're plowing a field or something. They're working together. And what he's saying is, is that as you should not enter into a partnership. So all this other stuff about association, about associating with those who, who associate with those who don't, you know, that's not in the Bible. That's not in this verse. This verse is not the basis of that. I want us to understand, because in and of itself, this general principle is enough of itself. This general principle, which we're going to discuss here in a second, in and of itself is enough that you not have to worry about all that other stuff. Now, if you look at your book, there's a question there. This passage is usually understood to apply to marriages between believers and unbelievers. However, what other types of close relationships or partnerships might Paul have in mind here? So we do know this verse is talking also about marriage between an unbeliever and a believer. But what other kind of partnerships might the apostle be having in mind here? Business. Yeah, business relationships. Now, some of them would say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, understand something. We just talked about this last week. That a Christian, when you become a Christian, you get a new mind and a new heart. And you have a new outlook on things, a new way of thinking. You enter into it with an unsaved person. He's guided by who? According to the scripture, Ephesians 2 says, he's guided by the world and Satan. So he's going to be guided by the principles of the world and Satan. If you, as a believer, are not guided, you're guided by the Word and the Holy Spirit, obviously at some point there's going to be a what? A conflict in how you do what? Business. And can I be honest with you? More than likely, this is what will happen. You'll be the one who will compromise. You'll be the one who compromises. And so Paul's wanting us to avoid... That type of partnership. Now, marriage. Why do you think marriage is so important? So you have a believer and an unbeliever. Why do you think it's so important that the apostle stresses that the unbeliever and the believer shouldn't marry? Okay. Do you hear what Bruce said? Marriage is tough enough, and it is. You know, when you're both believing the same thing, when you both have the same Lord. Okay. Anybody want to add to it? Why? Children. Yeah, who's going to be the major influence on the children? And so it's a lot of times, and you'll see this, because we, you know, we have, we have couples who, well, actually the spouse, the wife who comes, the husband doesn't come, has no interest in things, and you just need to talk to them for a while. And they will express several things to you. Number one, anguish of their heart. Always wanting their loved one, their spouse, to express the same interest in spiritual things that they have, but they never do. The other thing that's in anguish of their heart is the influence on the children. Who's going to have a major influence on kids? You know, you want to go to church, dad lays at home and says, 
I don't feel like going to church today. I'm just going to sleep in. Well, the kids are saying, that's not going to church. I'm not going to church. You know, you, know, it's, you see what I'm saying? The whole major gamut there. And it's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing, isn't it? It's a hard thing. And so when God tells us these things, I'll be honest with you, he's not wanting to be a cosmic killjoy and that sense of wanting to hinder you from something or hinder you from relationships that you want to have that you think are, that you know better and you, he knows that he's sparing you heartache. He's sparing you grief. God's word is there for a reason, to spare the anguish of the heart. The reality is, is that God calls us a general principle to what? What? Don't enter into any partnerships with unbelievers. Here, here's another reason why. Jesus said this very much. He said, even your own family will turn against you. Meaning, your own family who don't know Jesus. That there will come a time when your own family will turn against you. You need to recognize that as a believer, you are someone different. You are a child of God. I'll be honest with you. If they're not saved, they're lost. They're guided by, as the Bible says, by their own passions, by the world, and by Satan. They belong to the prince of this world. And so their whole thinking is going to be in terms of that. In terms of that. And, you know, and so the principle is there. So who does this principle apply to? Look at the next question there. Who does this principle apply to? Who does this principle apply to? Yeah, Christians, but what Christians? All of us. This is true for myself. It's true for every one of you. This principle is applicable to all of us. You understand? It's applicable to all of us. Now, he's going to expand upon the principle. That's the general principle, so let's expand upon it a little bit. Look at verse, again, 14 through 16, and we're going to see several things here. First of all, Paul explains the true nature of such partnerships with unbelievers. Notice, here's how he explains it. Look at verse 14. Here's what he says. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? 2 Corinthians 6, 14. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Now, what is, he, what is he saying here? What fellowship... He's asking five questions here to help you to understand what he's talking about. When we talk about you as a Christian, you are always seen in terms of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Your own righteousness? No. Jesus' righteousness, which was imputed to you, that was given to you at the, when you became a Christian. You are a righteous person. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. So he's saying, what fellowship has righteousness with what? Lawlessness. Those who are basically just doing their own thing. How can you mix those two together? It's like oil and water. You can't. Christ's righteousness with the lawlessness of this world. You can't mix it together. Then he goes on to the next question. Notice what he says there. What communion has light with darkness? Communion is an intimate time together. How can light... And we are children of light, are we not? How can we have communion with, intimacy with, darkness, the children of the darkness? We can't. You see what I'm saying? So he's asking these questions. Then go on. Look at verse 15. 
And what accord has Christ with Belial? Now, Belial was the false idol that the Jewish people would worship. Or if you go through the Old Testament, or Baal. What fellowship has God with a false idol? No fellowship. It, it, there's no fellowship there. And then he goes on. Notice what he says. Or, what part has an believer with an unbeliever? You don't have anything in common. Oh, you might share the same family. You might work at the same job. You might have the same interests. But in reality, when it comes to the spiritual nature of who you are, there is no connection there. No, no, um, there's nothing there. No common ground. One of you is headed to eternity in heaven. The other is headed to eternity in suffering in hell. Think about that. Think about that. So, now, here's what he says. As we continue on there. Those who have been delivered cannot fellowship with those who are in darkness. Those who are delivered cannot fellowship with those who are in darkness. Listen, when you enter into a partnership with someone, a business partnership, they're not, the guy's not, the guy or a gal that you're in a partnership is not going to hold the same values as you. They're not going to view things the same way. Their whole focus is going to be completely different. When you enter into a marriage relationship with an unbeliever, it's going to be completely different because their whole focus on raising those kids are not going to be the same. Their whole focus on what things you will do together are not going to be the same. Their whole focus on what maybe is allowed in the on TV or I mean just the whole value system is going to be completely different. See, here's what I'm saying. There's an emphasis here in the scripture. Be very careful because we'll, we'll look at this and say, okay, you can't marry an unbeliever, but then we'll say, okay, well, you need to pray a prayer. Well, you know what? Can I be honest with you? If it's a gal marrying a guy, even if he just prayed that prayer, even if he was just genuinely saved, I would still say no if somebody wanted to marry Maddie. Can I tell you why? Because that fellow's got to be the spiritual leader to Maddie. And he's a babe in Christ. If he did get saved, or, I mean, or if he just, you know, that was just the ritual to get to go out with her. Or, I've seen, I've, I've been with people, that, you know, I've, 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 I don't do very many weddings. But I have been with people who wanted to get married, and he, the guy will say anything to get the gal, and as soon as they get married, he's not interested in the church anymore. How many of you have seen that before? Yeah, we see that stuff. And then she's heartbroken all her life, wanting him to what? Because I'll be honest with you, when you look at people out there, guys, they're pretty smart. I'm going to marry me a Christian girl. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I'm going to marry me a Christian girl because what? She's been brought up right. She's probably pure. And so, there's a reason for this whole principle. And so, guys, those of you with daughters, just don't have a shotgun. <laughs> Sam talked to me yesterday. But your son walked with my kid. They're four. He's four. Don't worry. <laughs> if he's 16, we'll talk then, okay? But, you know, just don't have a shotgun. Have a biblical understanding. And a shotgun. That's right. <laughs> 
and a struggle. Have a biblical understanding. Because look, you as a parent have a responsibility. And I'm talking about guys and gals. Hey, those of you who have sons, same thing. Same thing with your sons. Because you'd be surprised how many young men I talk to all the time. And there's some... There's some bad girls out there, you know what I'm saying, who want a good guy. You know, and so you've got to be wise, you've got to interact, and you've got to be guided by the Scripture, and you've got to be guided by that principle that those who have, you can't have that, that you don't want to spare them that heartache. Now don't take out the whip and say, you can't do it, and drive them into each other's arms, but guide them through some principles there. Okay. The emphasis of this passage is not day-to-day context. Here's what Paul's not talking about. He's not talking about, Bruce, you work at YBC, the only people you can deal with are Christians. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to live. Rod, the only people you can build houses for or, or build any kind of construction for are Christians. So, you're doing that Mark Carmel Church? Wonderful. But no, nobody else unless you know they're a believer. Gary, only trucks that belong to Christians... You know, Sam, as you're doing the work, only businesses run by Christians. Where would we be? We'd be in the poorhouse. Sue, loans only for Christians. She'd be out of a job. The bank would say, you're out of here. Jack, when you drive the van for the VA, only the vets who are Christians. Do you see what I'm saying? Cut meat. <laughs> Only for Christians, okay? That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about our day-to-day context. Guys, I know nobody wants to move, so you're going to have to tell your neighbor to move so a Christian can move in next to you. Isn't that the concept we have? So he's not talking about our day-to-day concept. What he's talking about is you and I entering into relationships of like a business nature or an intimate relationship like a marriage relationship. He's not talking about your day-to-day context because here's the thing. How many of you have family members who don't know the Lord? If you were to take this to an extreme, could you associate with them? No. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. So he's not. the emphasis of this passage is not on day-to-day context. What's the emphasis? The emphasis of this passage has to do with long term commitments. Long term commitments. It has to do with a long term commitment. When you enter into a business relationship, it's a long term commitment. When you enter into a marriage relationship, you better believe it. You're entering into a what? A long term commitment. You know, and even though our society likes to think that it's a short term, I'll be honest with you, I just was reading doing some different reading here uh, a lot of states now are passing laws to make it harder for a p- person to get a divorce. The, it's, it, what you're seeing on the horizon is the death of a no-fault divorce. That's what has destroyed a lot of families over the last 20, 30 years now, is the no-fault divorce. Just going Now they're making people wait up to a year or two before the divorce is final. Some states are already enacting those kind of laws that you have to wait a year or two for the divorce is final. And here's what they're showing is, is that the divorce rate when those, in those states where that is happening is dropping 30 or 40%. Because then they usually work out their problems. Because what they have shown is, statistics show that couples who divorce, after about six or seven months, they want to get back together. They want to work it out. 
There's a desire to get back together, but the problem is that they've got the divorce, and so they end up, what? Remarrying or something rather quickly. Rebounding. So, it's a long-term commitment thing that he's talking about here. The emphasis is on a long-term commitment. So now he wants to tell us why there has to be this separation. So, rather than... And this, this is the wonderful thing about the Bible. The Bible will tell you to do something, and then it'll tell you why to do it. It just doesn't give you a rule and say, this is the rule, follow it. The question is, well, why? Well, here he'll tell you why. Look with me now, uh, verse 16 through 18. Verse 16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and dwell among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, here's several things. Let's just go through them real quick. Our true nature. Paul points out that we are the dwelling place of God. What happened when you became a believer in Jesus Christ? Anybody? What happened? Yeah, the Holy Spirit entered into your life. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. He enters into your life. So then you become a dwelling place for who? God. So think about that. You are a dwelling place for God. The Holy Spirit inhabits you. The moment you got saved, He came into your life. You are a dwelling place for God. Next thing he says here, God's desire is to dwell with us as our God and we as his people. So when you look at verse 16, I will dwell with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So his desire, listen, this is the desire of God. The desire of God is that he wants to have a relationship with you. So here's what he does. He enters into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to be his people and he wants you to have him as your God. Isn't that an awesome thought? So he's talking about the whole special nature of who we are. So we see the desired fellowship. And so then in verse 17, though, he then gives us a call. God calls us to live separately from the world. So notice what he says. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. So what is he saying? He wants you to live a life that's separate from them. Now listen, this is not what he's saying separate, because I, I've been there where separate means that you have to dress a certain way compared to everybody else. He's not talking about that. He's not even talking about whether or not you abstain from, like some groups will say you can't have coffee or tea. Boy, if somebody tells me I can't have tea, I'll, I'll just die. You know, i got to have my tea, you know. You know, and so, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, he's not talking about that you change so that you look like Amish people now, or Mennonites. So, my point to you is this. He's talking about the way that you live your life. How you do business, how you live your life, all those things. That you, the way you live your life, is separate from the way the world's doing it, the way the culture's doing it. You understand? That you have a different value system. He wants you to come out from among them 
and have a different value system, a different way of doing your life and so forth, a different way of doing business. Like All the other people in business may be doing this, but you know that's wrong, so you do what? What's right. That's what he's calling us to. So then, here he goes on. He wants our lives to be marked by holiness. Our lives are to be marked by holiness. That's the next point there. Our lives are to be marked by holiness. And so then notice the relationship with God. God will be our Father and we will be His children. You are children of God and God is your Father. So there's a distinctiveness. You know, some of you know this about... Here, I mean, I'll give you an example that just came to mind here. Real quick. A lot of times people will marry based upon social economic statuses. So if they grew up on the right side of the railroad tracks, their tendency will be to only marry those who what? Who grew up on the right side of the railroad track. They wouldn't marry somebody on the other side of the track. Because they know there's, there's a different value system there and they've seen it where somebody who did do that, they had problems. It's the same thing true for us in the sense of a spiritual nature. We're on the, this side of the spiritual railroad track. We shouldn't be associating with those on the other side of the spiritual railroad track in intimate fellowships because it's only going to create problems. And so he wants us to see that, you know, we're a part of the family of God and they'll show that should guide us in our commitment levels. So now verse 1 then is where we're going to end up. I want you to notice the exhortation to holy living. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So three things, real quick. Because of the promises of the relationship with God, Paul calls us to action. Because of this relationship, you and I are called to action. You and I are called to action. So... Next thing he tells us is this. Paul calls us to remove all sinful behavior and attitudes from our lives. So he's calling us all to remove these sinful attitudes and behaviors from our lives. Because we are separate. And then finally, because of the fear of God, we should be maturing in holiness. Now let me remember, remember I said to you, Holiness is a biblical concept that we have perverted because what we've made holiness into is the keeping of rules. You can't go to places that have a bar on the side of it. You can't, you can't go to movie theaters or you can't, remember the old time, you can't read the Sunday comics or you can't go do this on Sunday and you can't go do that and you can't go do this. And, you know, like where I'm from down in South Carolina, we have holiness people and, you know, it'll be 90 degrees outside. And the ladies are wearing, you know, they got their honey buns on and they got, they got a, a dress that's all the way down their ankles and all the way to here. And man, it's 90 degrees outside. You're sweating to death. And, and they're like, they're being holy. I used to think they're being dumb. And so we've perverted the concept of holiness. And so what he's calling us to is out of the fear of God, we should be maturing in holiness. holiness becoming like God. Christ in our actions, in the way that we live our lives. So next week we'll look at some encouragement as well as some rebuke. Let's close our time in prayer.